We're going to turn again in our Bibles, but this time to the Old Testament. We're going to turn to to Exodus and uh, chapter 3, Exodus 3, page uh, 46. If you were with us uh, two weeks ago, we left Moses on um, up, up the mountain, as it, it, it were, um, in, in, uh, uh, in Midian, at the top of Mount Horeb, uh, which is also uh, called uh, Mount uh, Sinai. And there uh, God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and uh, speaks uh, to him graciously words of salvation. We're going to pick uh, the uh, story up uh, this morning at uh, verse 16 of chapter 3. Verse 16, uh, we're halfway uh, through God having just uh, revealed himself as the great I am. I am who I am, uh, says uh, God. So let's hear God's word. Um, Exodus chapter 3 and verse uh, 16. God says to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbour, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And they shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Uh, then uh, Moses answered, But behold, uh, they will not believe me or, or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a, a staff. And, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran after it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers... The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who, has made, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Uh, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know uh, that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will uh, be uh, with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So reads God's sure word. Let us pray together. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as Moses was instructed to take off his feet when he approached the bush, for the ground upon which he stood was holy ground. Lord, so we recognise now that not this building... But as your people gather together, there you have promised to be in our midst, holy ground. And so we pray now that the words of my mouth, the uh, thoughts and meditations of each of our hearts truly might be acceptable in your sight, that your name might be glorified, that our eyes might be opened, and that we might behold glorious things from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us, at least, are old enough to remember 23 years ago the dire warnings of the Millennium Bug, uh, which it was claimed would cause every computer, every electrical device in the home, our cars, our trains, planes, uh, complex military and vital medical systems, to crash and to run havoc on the stroke of the, year, the new year. Some of us can remember it. Billions spent in industry, checking, replacing IT systems and equipment. Households replacing perfectly decent appliances for fear that the washing machine might turn rogue and hold them hostage. Uh, midnight struck on the 1st of January 2000 uh, with no accompanying disaster. Superb planning or just the reality that there was actually little to fear in the first place. Were we right to believe the predictions. Uh, daily in our news headlines, not just now, but uh, certainly in recent memory, one report after another, one pressure group after another, uh, Extinction Rebellion, Insulate Britain, difficult to keep up with all of the names and the groups, isn't it? Warning of impending ecological Armageddon. Just this week, I, I heard uh, someone uh, say uh, there were only a thousand days left until we would pass the point of no return where we would be able to actually do something uh, that would stop humanity from being wiped out 
through changing our actions. That was three or four days uh, ago, so I'm guessing 997 days left now. Hundreds of trillions of, of dollars worldwide based on uh, predictions made often uh, with models and, and, and maybes and what ifs instead of, of firm scientific proof. And yet it is very fashionable, isn't it? Those words of ecological disaster are heard and are trusted. Are we right to believe the predictions? The promise of a coming day of reckoning for every man and woman and child who's ever lived. Ever lived in the whole history of the world. A day of, of final judgment for all and a day of, of final salvation for all those who have, having heard the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ who in the middle of history died and rose to eternal life, have believed that good news, put their hope for life and death in his promised return to judge the living and the dead, to usher in a new created order, suffering and death ended, a world of blessing and fruitfulness brought in. Should we believe the predictions? Who has believed our gospel? Who, says Isaiah the, the prophet, has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the, the arm of the Lord been revealed? Where are the initiatives? Where are the, the legislation? Where is the investment faced with this coming day of crisis? I think I've said before, G.K. Chesterton once uh, said, when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe nothing, but rather that they will believe anything at all. And it is tempting, isn't it, for us as Christians to think, well, you know, we've got our good news message, uh, but we need something more powerful. We need something more convincing than just our mere words, our gospel words, for people to believe our good news. And so turn and do something about it. Follow the Lord Jesus. God's promises, they seem so powerful, and yet our words seem so weak at times. Two points I want us to see this morning. Powerful promises and weak or seemingly weak words. First, I want us to look at the powerful promises of salvation here in Exodus 3 and 4. So far in Exodus, we've seen how as a nation, God called these Israelites to be his people, his blessed people. By calling out, remember, that one man, Abraham, from all of the nations of the world, he'd done that centuries earlier. And yet we found Abraham's descendants have been languishing as slaves in a land of bitterness and death. And now, after 400 years of oppression and hardship, of all sorts of changes of fortune and fashion, of all kinds of changing priorities and passions, God has delivered a rescuer, Moses. Delivered him from death, and God will use this deliverer to deliver his own people from their deathly slavery and fulfill his promise to bless them. Uh, the God who is has revealed himself to Moses. Uh, we, we, we see it there in verse 14, just before where we began to read. He is the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one. I am who I am, without reference to any other. 
the God who does not need you or me. And yet also we've seen he is the God who freely, graciously, without need in himself, reaches out and commits himself in promises to bless others. That's how our chapter began. Our, our passage began in verse 16 there. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Just flick back to verse 15. God again it refers to himself as the God who's committed himself to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his grandson Jacob, and to their descendants, it's the same again in verse 5 of chapter 4. This isn't some, some new God who's arrived on the scene and comes to Moses and says, listen, let me tell you uh, what my, my, my plan is for you. This isn't uh, the God of Moses and, and Israel's fathers coming to, to do something totally new, uh, totally novel. No, no, this is the God who spoke to Abraham, who revealed himself and his purposes to bless this people centuries earlier. The God who's known all about his people's plight in Egypt and is now about to show himself as the God who will keep his promises. God promised Abraham his descendants would go down into Egypt, Genesis 15, that they'd be slaves for four centuries. But God had also promised that he'd bring them out of slavery to a land of their own. God had said, and so what? God had spoken God's word. What difference would it make? God has said, and God is faithful. God will do just as he said. God's promise, sure and certain. And here God outlines uh, these promises that he made to Abraham centuries earlier, uh, how that will work out in detail. Look at verse uh, 17. God says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, God had said that to Abraham four centuries, five centuries earlier. But just as God promised Abraham in Genesis 15, how will it happen? Just look down with your Bibles open there from verse 18 and see God's promise. See what God promises will happen here. I promise, verse 18, that they will, the people of Israel, will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 19. But I promise that I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so verse 20. I promise I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And, and after that, I promise he will let you go. Verse 21. And I promise I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Uh, and when uh, you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of a neighbour uh, and, and so on. Powerful promises. God would deliver just as he'd said. And not just bringing the people out of their slavery notice. 
There's a, there's a bringing out of here, isn't there? But there is also a bringing into and entering into this land of blessing, this land of plenty. An assurance to Moses that the people will listen to what he says and believe him and follow his lead as he brings them God's word. A, a promise the king of Egypt will first resist but then will release the people. And what's more, that the Egyptians who, who feared and then loathed the Hebrews, they will in time show favour to them, lavishing them with jewellery and provisions. So much more than just a, a promise of deliverance. A, a promise of provision. Not just an, an exodus from slavery, but an, an inheritance to enter into. God knew just how Israel and Pharaoh would react to, to, to Moses' words. Those words that God had given him to speak. God wasn't caught out by Moses' initial resistance. It's not as the story goes on that God had to somehow double down in stretching out his hand to save uh, the Israelites and strike Egypt. And God had to do it again and again, one plague after another, because the first push, the first plague, God didn't quite get it right. God knows Pharaoh will resist, and in Pharaoh's resistance, he will earn God's judgment on himself. It is a similar dynamic, I think, to why God didn't let Abraham just take possession of the land of promise centuries earlier. Why didn't God just wipe out the nations who were in Canaan uh, when God gave his promise to Abraham? Uh, keep your finger in, in Exodus 3 and 4 and just turn back with me to Genesis uh, 15. Uh, Genesis 15 and verse 16. We've read this a, a few times. Somebody give us the page number. Page 11. Genesis 15 verse 16. What does God says as he makes this promise to Abra Abraham? And Israel shall come back here, back to the land of Canaan, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God delays judgment. God grants opportunity to turn from sin. But don't think that delayed judgment is somehow a lack of power in God. God trying to find just the right plague that will do the trick. No, no, rather delay here for Pharaoh, uh, for the nations in Canaan, is, is an opportunity to repent. It is a sign of God's mercy. The God who gives his word promises to keep his word. A sure and certain promise because he's not merely able to control circumstances and events but as we'll see with Pharaoh's heart and as we see here with uh, the uh, hearts of the population of Egypt, this is the God who is able to sway and direct change and control hearts. The shape of Exodus, of deliverance promised and worked out by God's hand. And it teaches us, not just about this exodus with Moses, but it teaches us about the exodus God has promised and now worked out in his son, the Lord Jesus. What is the purpose of deliverance 
Why is God going to bring them out of this land of slavery? It is there back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18. In the words that Moses and Aaron are to say to Pharaoh. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. They are delivered from uh, the miserable bondage of of, uh, slavery. They are provided with all they need for life and godliness. They are brought into an inheritance that will not rust or fade away. The defeat of dis- and destruction of all that's evil and against God's will, the salvation, liberation of all that God has drawn to himself. And with them and with us, it is all so that we might know and worship the Lord our God. That we might live lives of worship, the lives that we were made for. God has promised in his son, the Lord Jesus, a whole new world order, all evil destroyed, all that is good, and he has uh, drawn to himself, redeemed and rescued. That's what God has promised us, isn't it? God's powerful promise of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has promised us, and yet, as yet, God has not fully and finally brought us in to the fullness of that promise should we believe can we believe look at verse 4 chapter 4 verse 1 Moses answered but behold they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord didn't appear to you God promises he'll he'll work his salvation but, but why should anyone believe him so far in this story of Exodus it has all been words no action why would anyone Why would anybody languishing down in in Israel, still a slave, why would they believe what Moses says? Why should we believe the promises that God has made in his son, the Lord Jesus? Well, here it's, it's because of the powerful signs that accompany God's promise of salvation. Moses is concerned that people won't believe him, even though God has promised that Israel and uh, Pharaoh uh, will heed his words. Why would anyone believe Moses? Uh, They hadn't believed him 40 years earlier, had they? Moses had been absent. Can you imagine Moses uh, turning up after 40 years and saying, oh, let me tell you what God said to me. Moses, you were yesterday's man, and even then it didn't work out. And so God gives Moses these three powerful signs. His staff, a, a shepherd's crook, which turns into a snake as Moses throws it on the ground. And then as Moses picks it back up by the ta- tail, it reverts back to a stick. Then Moses' hand that becomes a leprous uh, as he puts it in his uh, coat, a jacket. and wouldn't have been a jacket, would it? Uh, a coat, shawl. And then as he brings it back out again, um, it is cleansed. And then this third sign, water from the Nile, poured out that turns into blood. These aren't just magic tricks for Moses to kind of gain an audience. Oh, come and see. Uh, Look how interesting this is. No, no, these are signs. Signs that point to God's power to judge and to save. God's the God who takes the serpent and is able to control it. The Egyptian uh, god, sun god Ra, was in the form of a serpent. Pharaoh's uh, crown, it it bore a snake on it. 
To take hold of, to control a serpent, was to take control of and to defeat Egypt's gods. But more than that, Egypt, uh, Israel knew well, didn't they, that Satan had appeared as a serpent in Eden. That the long-age battle between God and his opponents was a battle where Satan, the devil, sought to usurp God and capture his people and where God would deal a decisive blow uh, to the serpent, to Satan, by Eve's seed. A, a snake held and controlled, a sign of God's victorious destruction of Satan and release of those Satan held captive. Uh, Moses' uh, hand going leprous and miraculously then uh, cleansed. Uh, a sign, I think, that uh, Moses and those whom God would deliver, they weren't just weak, they weren't just oppressed people. They were, like all others, unclean people. They were sinful, or, or unable uh, to approach a holy God. And yet God would, would cleanse them. God would renew and restore them. The Nile turned into blood. Uh, I read a commentary this week, I, I liked it. They said, the Nile was Egypt. The Nile was Egypt's life. Each year, the waters of the Nile, they washed clean and renewed and made fertile the Egyptian soil year upon year. Egyptians sang the praises of the Nile, the father of life, the mother of all. To destroy the Nile, to take the life of Egypt and turn it into blood, a sign of victory, of conquest. Three signs that point to God the Saviour, powerful signs that point to his judgment and his salvation. Signs that point us this morning to the salvation, to the exodus, God has worked in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus came to fulfill God's long-promised rescue of his people from our slavery to sin, Jesus comes, we read about it in, in John chapter 20, performing signs and wonders. And they are not just magic tricks uh, to impress they are signs that point us to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. His salvation and the judgment that he brings. Satan bound and defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus. God able to cleanse the vilest of sinners through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he once and for all deals with the sin of his people. Blood spilt on the cross. Whose blood? God's own blood spilt, that justice might be done, that cleansing may come. Signs that speak of judgment and of rescue. Why would anyone believe God's promise in Jesus Christ? Why would we invest our lives and our livelihoods in him? Because of what Jesus says, because of what Jesus does. And the principal sign that uh, Jesus gives us, or God gives us in the Lord Jesus, of the salvation that God will surely bring about, is the sign of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Paul says in Acts uh, chapter 17, as he's preaching in Athens there, 
Acts 17 verse 13. Now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Great words, a powerful promise of what God will do. Yeah, but how can we know? How can we be sure? It's not just empty words, just a false promise. Paul goes on to say, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, this man who will judge all things, from the dead. God will judge the world in rebellion against him. A sign in the middle of history that that will surely happen in Jesus' death and resurrection. A day of reckoning to come. Every war crime, all oppression, all sexual promiscuity, all marital unfaithfulness, every falsehood, every cruel word and theft and jealousy, all dishonouring of parents, all of it one day certainly to come. Promised by God, he has given a sign that he will judge he has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. A day of reckoning and a day of salvation. God fully, finally delivering his people from our bondage to sin, to enter into an eternal inheritance, to know and be known by him, to be at home in God's presence. A powerful promise and a powerful sign. Why should we believe that God will keep the word that he said? His promise to save. Let me say, we, we, we don't expect, we shouldn't expect new signs today. God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. That is the sign that God has given that he will come again to judge and to deliver. We're left today not just not, not looking for God to do more signs that he'll keep his promise. That'll make people uh, believe us. No other sign needed, no greater sign than God has already given the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. God has promised a powerful promise of salvation. God has given a, a powerful, great sign, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there will come that day of judgment and salvation. But what are we left with today? We're left with words aren't we seemingly weak words and so briefly i want us to say that it is through weak words that god works his salvation our second point this morning look at verse 10 of chapter 4 moses said to the lord oh my lord i'm not eloquent either in the past or, or since you have spoken to your servant Moses is basically saying, oh, since you turned up in the burning bush, Lord, uh, I haven't uh, changed how well I speak, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Some people think that Moses had some kind of speech impediment. I don't think that's the case. God provides uh, Moses with Aaron, his older brother, to be the spokesman for, uh, for Moses to the people. Uh, there's a pattern, isn't there? God will speak to Moses, Moses will speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. But the key isn't whether uh, uh, people will listen to Aaron and Moses because uh, they're competent or eloquent. No, no, people will believe them because God is present with them. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, who made Moses' mouth? 
Who formed Israel and, and Pharaoh's ears? God made Moses' mouth. Uh, God can make Moses stammer or God can make Moses eloquent. God formed Pharaoh's ears. Why on earth would we think that God can control whether Pharaoh's ears are blocked and don't hear or, or whether they're receptive and clear? God purposed his message of salvation, of deliverance, that it would come through mere weak words, through mere feeble words. Today, words from the Lord Jesus and his apostles, these words we have in our Bible. We don't hear, do we, the audible voices of the Lord Jesus and of the apostles today, but we have their words in the Bible. All we have as Christians is words, words to speak, words to share, words to preach. Moses, a man with words, and we might think how weak, how pathetic, just a man with words. A man, a woman with the words of the Lord Jesus, with the Bible open, that's the way God has said he will send his gospel to the world. He will save the world through the preaching of his word, the, 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 the sharing, the speaking of his words. God uses weak and powerless words to do his powerful saving word work in the Lord Jesus. He promises he'll work and promises they will listen. Remember when Paul is writing to the Christians in the church in Rome, what does Paul say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved but how then will they call on him whom they've not believed in and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how will they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news let's try and bring this home to us let's try and apply this to us friends we should never ever ever be ashamed of the apparent weakness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Our gospel in our world, our gospel looks incredibly weak, doesn't it? All word, words in one sense, sense are weak, but, but even compared to the, the words, the promises, the predictions, the, the shape and drive our society's uh, livelihood, uh, medical, social, eco ecological disasters, our gospel words in comparison, boy, do they seem weak. Behaviour changed overnight because the experts say their models predict that a virus will kill billions. Lifestyles changed and shaped and curtailed because teenagers claim the world's about to end in less than three years. But friends, who has believed our gospel words? And yet the power of God is real. God is faithful to his promise. God's rescuer, the Lord Jesus, he really came, he really died, he really rose again. He will really come again to judge the living and the dead and gloriously transform this present broken creation into a renewed world into which he'll welcome all of the sheep of his flock from every age. Don't be ashamed to tell people what God has done, who Jesus is, what our sure salvation hope is we may think our words are useless 
We may think our gospel words just bounce off people, evaporate into thin air. And God says they will listen, that his people will hear, they will listen, they will believe the gospel, even though it's mere words. Through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, God will powerfully work. Let us not be ashamed of speaking gospel words that appear so apparently weak. But also I think that means that we must also resist the temptation to doubt God's word ourselves, To doubt his word. Moses flirts with doubting God's word here, doesn't he? And the Lord's anger, we're told, is kindled against him. Moses says, uh, sorry, God says, Moses, I will provide, I will work, I will deliver. And Moses says, eh. As we await the consummation of God's salvation, as we await for Christ coming again in glory, we still feel, don't we, the brokenness of our world. We, we, we still know what it is to, to groan under this present broken world, waiting to be set free from the bondage of corruption. And so we ask, don't we, oh God, why don't you do something about it to fix it? God, why don't you come and sort it all out? Why don't you do it, Lord? Of course, the answer is God has come and God has done something about it. At the cross, he has borne sin's curse, death. He's defeated his enemies. And now the Lord Jesus, ascended, risen and glorified, is carrying out his gospel manifesto to save the nations. Satan is now nothing more than a stick in God's hand. Christ delays his coming, not through weakness, but in mercy so that people might repent. God's been faithful to his promise in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He's done all that's needed to accomplish his salvation. Don't let the wait until that salvation comes in all of its fullness. Don't make that doubt the certainty of his word. And as we close, let me say, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, it is great that you're able to look at the Bible with us again uh, this morning. But let me say, don't write off what you hear and what you read simply because it sounds weak, just words. Let me say, God is delaying to act in judgment and to save in fullness. He's delaying out of mercy, not out of weakness. But God is faithful to his promise. God acts powerfully to do all that he said. He who formed our ears, he's able to give us ears to hear. He, he who formed our hearts is able to give, a, give us a heart to love and to desire to worship him. He who formed you, formed your mouth, formed you that you might speak and sing praises to his glory oh his promise is powerful powerful to save he works through the weakness of the words that he has given his people in scripture so that he might fulfill those promises that are so sure and steadfast so let us pray let's pray Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has spoke, that you have revealed yourself in your salvation plans. 
that we can be this morning without excuse. We will not be able to say, oh, we did not know about you, God. We did not know about your plan to judge and to save in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, therefore we pray. You are the one who has made ears. So give us ears to hear and to receive and obey. You're the God who has made our mouths. Oh, so give us tongues that will sing your praise and, and uh, that will rejoice at being at home in the gathering of your people. Oh Lord, you are our creator God, the one who is able, the one who is steadfast to all that you have promised and said. And so we ask, grant us faith to believe and to proclaim the sureness of your salvation, that coming day of judgment, oh, and that coming day of full salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.